scripture passage for today is from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit, since the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, through the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also, through his Spirit that dwells in you. Father, we're inviting your spirit into our hearts and our minds this morning, into our presence, into the spaces between each other. We're inviting your spirit to help plant the seed of your word in our hearts. We invite your spirit to nourish that seed so that it may germinate and grow and bear the fruit of your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, Paul was a disciple of Jesus. Um, he wasn't one of the original guys who sort of followed around uh, with him, walked around with him. Uh, he came a little bit later through a really interesting story. We're not going to talk about that story this morning. Paul has a bit of a reputation. Um, for some of you, you might be real cool with Paul. That's great. Some of you might be like, eh, I'm not sure I want to hear from Paul this morning. <laughs> Understandable. Um, what is Paul's reputation? Well, sometimes he's thought of as uh, a guy who likes to condemn people. Um, he's thought of as a bit of a jerk, um, a bit of a misogynist, um, somebody who, uh, you know, he had an opportunity to call it slavery and didn't seem to. Uh, some of these kinds of things. I would like to, and not just this week, I, I want to I spend some time with Paul, because I've been guilty of some of these thoughts too. And, and I want to um, spend some time with Paul to at least give Paul a chance to speak for himself. And um, one of the sort of things that hit me this week as I was preparing to talk about Romans is 
I thought, I wonder what kind of world it was like when Paul is writing these things. I mean, we're talking 200 centuries ago, so there's bound to be some differences. What was that world like? Was it different than ours? Was it similar to ours? And why is it different? Um, what I'd like to offer to all of you is that part of the reason we think of Paul in not the best light is because things were really different back then. In fact, they were so different, in some ways they were the opposite of the way they are now. And he was speaking into a situation that was so different than now that we can sometimes misunderstand exactly what he's getting at. And then not only this, consider this, that maybe the reason the world is so different now than it was back then is because of Paul. So, for example, we say, Paul, why didn't you call out slavery? Why didn't you say to the slaves, set your slaves free? Back then, slavery was more ingrained. It wasn't just a matter of a piece of paper. It wasn't just a matter of emancipation. It was, if you're a slave, you are always a different species of human. That's what Aristotle thought. You're just, you know, you could be freed, you could be not freed, you could be working for somebody or not. You're always fundamentally a slave. Paul wants to attack that. And the way he attacks it is not by saying, set the slaves free, you know, they, they should be, you know, this should be different. Instead, he says to this particular slave owner, Philemon, I would, I would like you to think of your slave as your brother. That wasn't a thing. That was not heard of. That was incomprehensible to imagine a slave as a brother. What he's doing is he's eradicating slavery completely. And yeah, it took the rest of Western civilization some time to catch up with that. But I would suggest that a lot of the resources we drew on to eradicate slavery in the West uh, came from Paul. Something similar went on with women. Back then, women were, again, some kind of other sort of species. They, they didn't match the, the level of a certain kind of man, not just any man, but a certain kind of man, a land-holding man. And so women were thought of as methods for social advancement. Uh, they would marry a certain person, the parents would arrange it, and then all of a sudden, Paul comes along, he says some stuff, and then we find all these women running towards celibacy. All these women saying, I would just choose not to get married. I'd really rather not get married. And we have their parents throwing them in jail. Quite a few early Christian martyrs were women saying, I don't want to be married. That was unheard of before Paul. Unheard of. So, what I'm offering, what I'm suggesting, is that maybe we just, we just sort of give Paul some space. We give him some space for maybe not just this week, but a few weeks to try to understand what, what seed is he planting that took root and grew to such an extent that we still have scripture, we still have Christianity, Roman Empire is no more. It grew to such an extent that the nations were underneath that tree, not next to it, not beside it, but underneath it. And I think a really good place to start in this 
in this try to uh, understanding what Paul is up to. And by the way, I'm not doing this for Paul. Paul doesn't give a rip what we think about him. Like, he just doesn't care. In fact, he would like us to think he's a jerk. He says this multiple times. He says, I'm not a great guy. Um, but where this matters is where Paul draws all this from, which is Jesus. Paul is taking the gospel of Jesus Christ and he's planting it in Rome, he's planting it in Corinth, he's planting it in Ephesus, he's planting it in all these cities, and he says, the important thing is not my reputation, but that that's, this seed grows here. And so that's another reason to look at Paul, is because we want that seed to be planted here, in Fort Collins, in our neighborhoods, in our lives, and we need to see how that works. And Paul shows us. So I'm, I'm proposing that for the next 10 years we go verse by verse through Romans. And I think that will do it. That'll be the way that we finally figure out. Um, I don't know. I won't ask you to raise your hand. I've never been in a church like that, but apparently there are churches like that that do that. And maybe it's a wonderful experience. It, it might be, but I'm just not going to do that. Um, instead, I'm going to um, break some rules, and I'm just going to dive into Romans right in the middle. Romans 8, even a little past the middle. And I'm going to begin with these two words that we would never expect the, the, the Paul of our minds to say, the, 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 the bad reputation Paul. We would never expect him to say that. In the very, the very beginning of Romans 8, he says, no condemnation. We thought Paul was like a real kind of condemning kind of guy. And he's saying, no condemnation. No condemnation. It's a radical, radical thing to say. It's even more radical then than I think it is now because sometimes we, we spiritualize it. And I do want to spiritualize it. But at first, first I want to, uh, for us to just take a second and imagine how this was, would have been heard. So let's say there's a guy named, I don't know, Phrygius. I just made that up. He's Latin. He's in Rome. He's a leather worker and he has a workshop. And on Sunday mornings, he opens up the workshop super, super early before, you know, Sunday's a work day in Rome. Um, he opens it up super early for all of his uh, fellow Christians to come in and they want to read a letter that's come from Paul. And so they're sitting around and they're reading this letter. And who's in this group? Well, you know, how would we know? We have a way of knowing. At the very end of the book of Romans, there's a long list of names. And some of those names tell us who these people are. Um, for instance, one of the names is Tertius. Another name is Cortus. If those words sound familiar, um, maybe like quarter or tertiary or something like that, it's because those names literally mean fourth and third. So why are they fourth and third? Because they were slaves, and that's how you named slaves. You had the first one, the second one, the third one, the fourth one. So he's got a bunch of slaves in his group who are part of his, uh, part of his community. So we know there were slaves showing up. We know there were women showing up. We know there were people in different parts of society, and they're all packed into this leather workers' workshop. And they're all here to listen to the letter from Rome. And, and Paul comes in, and, he, and, and, uh, and in chapter 8, he says, no condemnation. If, if you're hung up about coming in the middle of chapter 8, don't worry. The way Paul writes is he, he like summarizes. Like he'll say something really long and then he'll summarize and then he'll say something else and then he'll summarize. And I think the reason he does this is because he knows 
were going to get like sleepy, or I would get sleepy. And like some of you know, there's a story in Acts where he's teaching and this dude falls asleep and falls out the window and dies, and then Paul goes and heals him. Do you guys know that story? I think he had a picture of that guy on his desk every time he wrote because he was like, how do I keep this from happening again? I don't, that was so bad. And so I think it affects his writing. And so, so he, he'll, he'll do this really long where you're just sort of lost in what he says. And then, and then, it, and then it's like, it's like uh, he like comes up for air almost. And he says, no condemnation. Woo, that would have been amazing. Like that would have blown some people away, why? Well, the word he uses is, is not like a strictly spiritual word. It, it also means like a sentence, you know, like a court sentence. It, it could mean like a punishment. It could mean something you live with forever that's over your head. It could mean doom. It had a theological meaning. It meant, um, it meant that the gods uh, had always fated you to a certain destiny. You were always going to be a slave. You, you were... You were you know, you, you were forced to marry a tyrant and this is just your lot in life. That's the idea of condemnation. That's what they thought of as condemnation. This kind of sentence over your life, you will always be this way forever. And Paul says there's nothing like that in the gospel. That's amazing. You're always a slave. No, nope. Paul says, no, you're not always a slave. This is incredible. I mean, this is, this is like... This isn't just like a fundraising campaign to change some things. Like this is fundamentally saying what human beings are that's completely different than Roman society or Greek society. Completely transforming the way people think about themselves and about their relationships with others. And so you can see why this is starting to catch on. But he has another meaning for condemnation too. It's not just that sort of larger social idea. It also has to do with what he talks about in the previous, previous chapter, which is our sort of very tangled and complex relationship with sin. Very, very confusing, very tangled. And Romans 7 is sort of famous for this. And so some of the phrases he uses in Romans 7, he, he, says, uh, he says, I was sold into slavery. And, you know, he, Paul actually wasn't sold into slavery. He, he had been arrested, but he, he wasn't sold into slavery. But the slaves in the group would have known what that was like. And he says, when it comes to sin, I was sold into slavery. It wasn't just like I made some bad choices. It had come to overwhelm my life and define who I am. He says in Romans 7, I don't understand myself. I'm confused, I'm perplexed, I don't understand what I do and why I do what I do. And then he says, I want to do a really good thing, but I find I just can't do it. And, I mean, Romans 7 has spoken to people throughout generations, and I think it spoke to that little group there in the leather workers' workshop. And I think what it spoke to them was this, that yes, we have this social complexity, where we're defined in certain ways, where we don't want to be defined, and these kinds of things. But I think it spoke to them in another way to say, look, you're a human being like anybody, and you experience sin like anybody, and you experience confusion like anybody, 
You carry grudges like anybody. And, and, the, and the weird thing about this is that it's, it's simultaneously a kind of a condemnation, but it's also very dignified because it means I'm capable of being a free moral agent. It, it means I am more than a slave. I am actually a human being who is trapped in sin. It's, it, I, know it sounds, I know it sounds weird to say you're all sinners and that's dignifying, but that, that is what Paul is saying because, because he, he's, he's, basically, he's, he's basically saying you were, you were all created for more and you're not living into it. And you want to live into it. You want to be more than a slave. But if you were set free, you'd still experience slavery. You would still experience slavery. And so this is why, even though the world has changed, society has changed since Paul wrote, this is why it's still relevant. Because we all experience this same kind of condemnation. I mean, we, we, all, we all experience other people condemning us, and we condemn ourselves. Um, I was going to go see a relative recently that I hadn't seen in a while. And, you know, you know, I just, we all put on clothes, and I put on clothes. But, you know, I, I started thinking about, um, I hope we put on clothes. I, I started thinking about uh, what the person was going to think of my clothes. And, and so I grabbed something, and I literally, like, I heard their voice telling me what they thought of the shirt I was pulling out. I was like, where's that voice coming from? That's not actually their voice. It was me condemning myself for the clothing. Like it's, but, we, but it's such a small example, but we do it all the time. We live with this sort of condemnation of, well, what will other people think of us? You know, what if I don't advance here at work? What if I um, don't achieve this? Um, what if, what if I, you know, I have this threshold of weight. What if I go beyond that threshold of weight? What will people think of me? And on and on and on. And we get tangled up in this kind of condemnation that they were tangled up in and we get tangled up in. And how do we get out of it? Paul says there's no condemnation. How is something like that possible? How can there, in any sense, be no condemnation. Long pregnant pause while you wait for the answer. Um, there's a really great picture of what, what freedom from this can look like. In, in somebody who was a very close reader of Paul. His name was Augustine of Hippo. And Augustine of Hippo tried to write a commentary on Romans and failed. He only got to verse 17 of chapter 1 and he gave up. Um, but what, it, what may be is that he could only write a commentary on Romans by writing about his own life. And so he wrote an autobiography and it's called The Confessions. And it's potentially the very first autobiography in the history of humanity. Potentially. Um, some people say that, I don't know, but uh, it's, it's a fascinating idea that autobiography begins with a guy who's writing about Romans. Um, the scene is this, the climax of the confessions is this. 
There's a tree and there's a garden, familiar biblical themes there. And Augustine is in the garden of his house and he's under a fig tree and he is just torn apart. He's confused. He's crying out. He's, 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 he's in anguish because he wants to do the good and he can't and he feels trapped in a body of sin. He feels like evil is right next to him, constantly tearing him away from the person he wants to be, and he's just wracked with guilt and sadness and, and pain under that tree. And then he hears some kids, they're playing outside and they're singing a song. And the song goes, um, take and read, take and read. And so he, he picks up a book and it turns out it's Romans. And he reads in Romans, and one of the things he reads in Romans is put off all the things of your old life and put on Christ. It's in Romans 13. And then it just like clicks for him, and he gets it, and he says, oh wow. And what he doesn't get is like a step-by-step kind of approach to improving your life. He doesn't get some secret mystery that nobody got before. What he gets in that moment is the realization that when he was under the tree, just like Adam was in the garden, weeping over his sin and, and confessing his sin and torn apart, he realizes that there was another person who was in a garden, weeping by a tree, also dealing with the effects of sin. He realizes that when he cries out to God and he says, Oh God, can't you help me? He realizes that not only does Adam cry that out, but Christ too cries that out and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So what Augustine realizes is that all that, all that mess, and, and what Paul is talking about, is that all that mess and anguish that we experience, Jesus also comes and experiences that too. And what we thought was leading us to death slowly but inescapably this is going to be our end we'll never escape this like a like a maze that only leads to death we thought that path was the path that led to death but because jesus has taken all of that in what paul calls the sinful flesh because he's taken all of that on and put it on like a cloak then we discover that that path actually leads to life it's a big old switcheroo and it blows Augustine away, changes his whole life. It's precisely the thing that changes Paul's life. It's not, you know, God reaches a hand down and he says, you gotta grab the hand and then I'll pull you out of this mess. It's that Jesus comes and takes on the mess in his sinful flesh, lives his whole life, and then when he dies, he puts it all to death. He puts death to death on the cross. He puts condemnation to condemnation. Paul says he condemns, condemns sin in the flesh. What a great irony. There is no condemnation because condemnation has been condemned. It's wonderful. It, it's still a little confusing, yes, but it's wonderful. And so you can perhaps imagine how the people in that little leather working workshop were, was hearing this and said to themselves, I'm not just somebody special. I'm not just somebody who's been set free. 
I am actually a child of God. I am made to be a priest of creation like Adam. And now through Christ, despite my moral failings, despite my difficulties, despite all of that, I have been given a path forward to redemption. And I can put off Adam just like I would take off a garment that I don't need, and I can put on Christ and put on that garment instead. We are all still daughters and sons of Adam, and we all still experience death. It is true, and Paul talks about that. But even in the midst of all this death, in the midst of the torment and the difficulty, we also have a chance to begin to experience life in such a way that we will be eventually inheritors of eternal life forever. That, I think, is the seed that he plants in that community with those people, is what grows, and it becomes something astonishing. But that's only a piece of it. And I want to talk about more of it, and I'm going to do it next week and some weeks after that. And what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to go from here, and we're going to keep moving through, and then we're going to get to the latter half of Romans, where he says, what does this look like in a community? How does this work with a bunch of people? Now that you know what the mercies of God are like, how do we relate to each other? If we don't relate to each other based on condemnation, based on judgment, based on status, based on title, based on age, based on ethnicity, based on gender, based on you name it, right? What if we have other ways of relating to each other? What would that look like? Well, the word for it is church. But it's kind of one of those things where we still need to hear it, you know? So that's where I'm hoping to get to. All right. Thank you, Father, for the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for Paul, your servant, who helps us understand and plant the seed. Lord, may it grow in us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Amen. Go in peace.